0: Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast. We're a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario, and we're on a mission to reach people far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. Well, today we're in week two of a message series called The Parables of Jesus. and I'm excited to share with you the parable of the weeds, also known as the parable of the wheat and tares. I think there's a really important message in here for us that pairs so nicely with the message of the sower, which we studied last week. So grab your Bible, get ready to dive in, and dig in together.
1: This is a reading from Matthew 13:24 to 30. He put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? He said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. And that's the parable of the weeds.
0: Today we're looking at the parable of the weeds, and that's the parable that you just heard. Now I think this parable is one that is can be particularly tricky, uh, even though Jesus tells us the explanation. There's some nuance and some interpretation that's still required as we as we look at this incredible parable. That Jesus told I think this parable speaks to a question that many people in our day and age are asking and it is this question of why does God allow evil to exist in the world and that's a good question why does God if there is a loving God why does he allow evil to exist and if you look at the world around you you know we live in a fallen world the world is a mixed bag right there's good and evil there's there's new life and there's death there is joy and there's sorrow there is love And there's loss. And so we're asking this question, why does evil exist? Why does God allow it? And by the way, happy Valentine's Day. We picked the perfect subject, you know, for Valentine's Day, evil, right? But again, if you've been in love, then you know how wonderful and heavenly love can be when you find it, but you also know that with love can come loss and the depth of sorrow. So it's a great question for us to be asking. You know, many people struggle with faith. Uh, Many people question the Christian faith, the God of the Bible, the Bible itself, and they say, if there's this loving God that everyone talks about, why would the loving God allow evil to exist? Why would He allow genocide to happen? Why would He allow people to die? Why would He allow disease and natural disasters? And those are really important questions that we ask and we wrestle with in this life. Like, why would a loving God do that? Here's a better question. Why wouldn't He just remove it if He's all-powerful and He truly loves us? Why wouldn't He take that evil away? Now, I believe that this parable that we just heard and are going to d- dig into today, actually answers, at least in part, or speaks to that very question that we find ourselves asking. And we, as we think about evil in the world, it, it sort of touches on this desire that I believe God has placed in us, that we long for peace, we long for love, we long for happily ever after, we long for heaven on earth that's what we it's like we were created for that and we look at the world around us and we know that's not what it is we see uh racial injustice we see death we see you know all kinds of evil in the world and we go it shouldn't be like that and we're right so the question is why is it like that you know when we talk about the subject of evil and i don't have a lot of time to get into this but there's sort of two things that shock me in our culture today one we all sort of agree there are certain things that shouldn't exist. They're evil. They should be removed from our culture, removed from the world. And I think there's some of those things we agree on, some we don't. And we look at that and we wonder to ourselves, you know, why is that allowed to exist? But here's a question. How do we even define what evil is? And that, that idea of trying to even define that there's things that should not be done and should not exist actually should lead us back to the fact that there is a creator who created it to be a certain way and created us to live in a certain type of world. The other thing we have to think about when we ask the question of why doesn't the loving God remove evil from the world is we have to ask the question of where's the line? Like How do we determine what evil goes and what evil stays? Because if we're truly honest, all of us have some evil thoughts. All of us have acted on those evil thoughts at times. And of course, uh, if God were to remove all evil from the world, uh, this is safe to say, we'd all be gone too. And Jesus is going to address these things in the parable today. What we discover in the parable, as I, uh, as I go to read it in just a second, uh, we discover that there is a loving God, there's a loving God uh, who's going to plant good seed, and there is an evil enemy who's trying to destroy everything that God is planting. So with that in mind, let's go to the text and read it together. Matthew 13, verse 36. And this is Jesus' interpretation or explanation of the parable that he uh, told his disciples. And we, we just heard it read just a few moments ago. It says, then he left the crowds and he went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds. And he answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. That's super important. Keep a finger on that. And the good seed is the sons of the kingdom." The righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. And so I want to just open in prayer, and we're going to dive into this this morning. Father, thank you for every person listening. No matter where they're at in their faith journey, I pray that they and and, and I and we would have ears to hear what you're saying. I pray that as we study and dig into the words of Jesus that are so meaningful and significant, that we would hear the heart of the message and that it would transform us from the inside out. That's our prayer today. Would you be with us as we open your word in Jesus' name? Amen. <clears throat> We're in week two of a message series called The Parables of Jesus. And uh, we said this last week, so let me just take a few minutes to recap a few things. A parable is, it's a short story, okay, a short story that teaches a moral or spiritual lesson. That, that's what a parable is. The word parable in the original Greek language actually means to throw alongside. It's a comparison. And Jesus compared the kingdom of heaven and how we should live in the kingdom of heaven to things that we understand. He said the kingdom of heaven is like a fisherman who pulls in a net of fish. The kingdom of heaven is like a seed that's planted in the ground. So he'd use comparisons to help us understand something we don't know with something that we do. That's the power of a parable. Often when Jesus would uh, when Jesus would teach in parables, he would He would include at the end of the parable a challenge and a warning. Okay? He would have a challenge and a warning, and he would say something like this: "He who has ears to hear, let him hear." And what Jesus was trying to communicate with his challenge and warning is that um, that we can hear and not hear. That that what he's trying to communicate we may not get. So we have to lean in and seek to understand what he's saying. There's some active participation on our part. And secondly, there's a warning that if we, if we misunderstand what he's saying, we can run in the wrong direction. I talked to my wife, Jessica, this morning and I said, Jess, I'd love to have an example of how someone can hear, but not really hear. And I said, you know, I know that's happened a few times with us. And she's like, it happens every day. And she's like, for example, and she reminded me that yesterday when I came home from work, uh, my wife, Jessica, she seemed a little distraught and she began to tell me the story and I'm calling this the, the Christmas coat debacle of 2021. Okay. Jessica wanted a new coat, a new winter coat for Christmas. So we ordered one online, expensive, very nice coat. Well, doesn't it show up and half the coat is missing? All right. So this is already disappointing. Christmas is now past. The coat is there. So we ship it back, but of course the coat gets lost in the mail. So we can't get our money back and we're waiting for this thing to settle. In the meantime, She goes and orders another coat from another company because she wants a coat for Christmas. So she orders the coat and it says it'll be there in two days. You know, you check the the tracking and and here's what happens. A week goes by, two weeks go by. Now we're four weeks have gone by and every day she checks the tracking. And first it started in Scarborough and then it went to Stony Creek. Canada Post is going through some troubles right now. Now it's on its way to Montreal. So she's she's been on the phone with the manager of the store. She's trying to figure this out and she's telling me this, and I'm listening through the wrong lens. I'm sitting there like, Well, it's not their fault, you know, like it's not their fault that the post can't get it there, and I'm defending this store. And then my daughter, Naomi, she's like, Mom, I'm sorry that your Christmas gift is still not here, and it's been six weeks. And in that moment, I was like, Oh, I'm listening with the wrong like I've missed the whole heart of the situation. Have you ever done that? Jesus warns that as we're looking at these stories that that tell us all about his kingdom and things that matter that we can hear but not really hear, that we could miss the very heart of what he says. So uh, I want to share with you a list of three questions that we looked at last week. Okay, Um, These three questions are ones that we're asking as we walk through these parables of Jesus. And here's what we want to do. We want to ask these questions so that we know that we're interpreting it in the best way possible. The first question we want to ask is, what was his mission? Jesus declared that he came to announce a new kingdom. He'd be the king and this kingdom would be an eternal kingdom and it would grow and fill the whole earth and it would bring heaven to earth. That's the kingdom that Jesus came to announce. So when we're interpreting his parables, we want to make sure that we zoom out and get our bearings. Okay, that's what this is all about. And then we can zoom in and start going, what did he mean by this parable? Second thing we wanted to do was we want to consider the context. That means who's he talking to? What was said before and after? Uh, what comes Next. You know, what issues is he addressing at the day? And that will help us to understand. In this case, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he wants them to know some things that he doesn't tell everyone else about how the kingdom would go forward and their part in it. Third question, is there a twist? Is there a twist? I said this last week. Many of Jesus's parables and stories include a twist that it's something unusual or something that grabs your attention to go, hmm. I'm not sure it should go that way. And when you see that twist, it should let us know that there is something in this that we need to wrestle with. There's a tension um, that Jesus wants us to think about. So um, last week, we began this series with the parable of the sower. And we have this sower that sows seeds. And, and I want to take just a couple minutes to recap last week because the parable of the weeds comes next. And the first runs right into the second and they are deeply interconnected. Okay, Both of them work together in tandem. And so uh, as we looked at last week, I don't have time to go over it all. So if you'd like to catch up, you can go to our our website, you can go to our YouTube page, podcast. I mean, we're putting this information everywhere. You can catch up. But let me just literally summarize two quick points that you need to know. I got another quick list. Uh, Here it is. Two big ideas from last week's Parable of the Sower that I think are super, super important. Number one, Jesus talks about how God's kingdom will come. Everyone expected it to come like the Romans with swords and spears and catapults. Or like the British army with its, with its fleets of ships. You know, That's not how the kingdom would come. Jesus says like a seed being planted. Matthew 13, just after these parables, he tells two more parables, which we won't get into today. One about how the kingdom is like a, a little tiny grain of mustard seed. You can barely see it. But when it goes in the ground, it produces this massive tree of a flower. He says that the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that's added, leaven that gets added into flour and that totally from the inside transforms it into bread. Uh, These are some of the images Jesus gives us for how the kingdom will come. This is really important. I got a little statement here that I want to share with you. Okay, as Christians, we often focus on the wrong thing. And I like to say it this way. We are trying to figure out, we're trying to figure out how to get into heaven And Jesus is trying to figure out how to get heaven into us. This is so important because we're all like, how do we get out of this evil world and get to heaven where everything's nice? And and God's like, Jesus is saying, how do I get heaven into people and how do I bring heaven to earth? Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He said, pray in this way, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus had every intention to bring peace and love and eternal life to us, not to pull us out and take us somewhere else. That changes the story. Here's the second thing, uh, the second big idea. So number one, how God's kingdom will come. Number two, how God's kingdom will be received. So again, the parable of the sower last week was for the disciples, and he wanted them to know that as they went out to share the message of the kingdom, results would vary. People would respond in different ways. Some would receive it. Some would reject it. Some would look like they received it, etc., etc. So today, as we look at the second parable, we're looking at the parable of the weeds. These two are are two tandems and they were both for the disciples. In the first one, the parable of the sower, Jesus is pointing to internal resistance. That everyone would hear the word and they would respond differently. But the parable of the weeds or the tares is about external resistance. And you know we all have internal and external resistance. This week I was watching football. I never watched football, but it was the Super Bowl. So I'm watching football and I'm trying to figure the game out and my daughter Naomi sits beside me. She's like... Super Bowl. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I start telling her about Tom Brady. I'm like, look at this quarterback. And I'm impressed because he's the same age as me. And I have sore knees and he's playing professional football and kicking butt. And so I'm watching, I'm so impressed. I'm telling her about how this guy is old, but he's doing these amazing things. And she's like, wow. And then because my flesh is weak, I went to the kitchen to get some carrot cake. Okay. And she totally ratted me out. She went upstairs and she told my wife, she's like, dad was just telling me about this incredible athlete named Tom Brady. And then he went for carrot cake and she was disgusted. Right. And she should be. So there's this internal battle. Right. But then there's an external battle. So Tom Brady, he's not, he's not reaching for the carrot cake. He's on the field and there's all these massive men trying to take him out and stop him from moving the ball down the field. These two parables side by side show us there is internal resistance and external resistance. The message of the kingdom comes to us and we go, what has to happen in me? And we have to have soft hearts. We have to remove selfishness and greed and pride and lust. All this stuff is happening. There's internal resistance. I want to get in shape, but I don't want to get off the couch. It's cold outside, right? That's internal resistance. External resistance is your neighbor, you know, has iced your step and is waiting with a sniper rifle. <laughs> so you go out the back door. It, it, someone's trying to kill you. And Jesus, like both of these things are true. There's internal resistance to the kingdom of God in the heart of every person. And there's external resistance in the form of an enemy. And if we don't know that there's an enemy, uh, we are going to be in trouble, okay? He wants us to know. With the parable of the sower, there's some stuff in our heart that we can control, but there's stuff out there, what Satan is doing in the world that we can't control. There's a God who wants good for you, and there's an enemy called Satan who wants to destroy you and destroy me. Did you know God has a plan for your life, your money, marriage if you have one, family uh your career he has a plan for that but guess what satan also has a plan and it's an evil plan and it's a destructive plan and if we don't understand that there is an enemy there are two there are two opposing forces okay at work in the world and we need to know that because see everyone gets mad like why does god allow evil in the world and they don't even take into account the fact that there's an enemy who's causing evil and seeking to destroy them and if we don't recognize there are two Opposing forces, good and evil, God and Satan, then we'll ultimately blame God when evil happens or we'll blame the people who are doing the evil, not even taking into account that there's something behind it. You know, Paul said it this way in Ephesians 6. He says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness in high places. There's something going on in the unseen world. There's something behind the scenes. That's why when we know that there's something behind the scenes, an evil force, when we know that God will ultimately judge, then we can love our neighbors. Then we can love our enemies. Then we can forgive those who persecute us. Why? Because we know there's something evil at work behind and we know that God will sort it out in the end. So so this parable is so important for us as we look and view our world around us and understand what it is. So let's dive into the interpretation. Let's just go verse by verse through the text. Um, We go to Matthew 13, 36. We've already read this. Uh, but let's look at it together, and I'll just kind of go verse by verse, stopping and adding some points along the way. It says, then he left the crowds. Jesus left the crowds. He shared the parable, but not the explanation. He Went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. Again, this is for the disciples alone. Here's what he says next in verse 37. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. Now, the phrase son of man is an Old Testament reference from the prophets about the Messiah, Jesus. So Jesus is like, I'm the one who sows, and I'm sowing good seed in my field. The one who sows good seed is the son of man, Jesus. The next verse, he says, the field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. Now, I, I mentioned this earlier. This word, um, the, the field is the world, is extremely important. And here's why. Many people misinterpret this text. Okay, many people misinterpreted the text. Throughout history, people have said the field that Jesus is talking about is the church. Okay, now hear me. This is not the same thing. The field is the church, and there's good and evil within the church. Is that true? Are there true Christians, false Christians in the church? Yeah, sure. Are there people in the church that are hypocritical, trying to destroy the work of the church? Yeah, probably. But Jesus says the field is, he says the field is the world. So he's talking, the disciples had no idea that this thing Jesus was starting, this kingdom would leave Jerusalem, and eventually there would be people who follow and love Jesus in every corner of the globe, in Africa, in South America, in communist China, the gospel would thrive, in Russia, in the Arctic. Like No one could have ever imagined that there would be a billion to two billion people professing and following Jesus all over the globe. But Jesus knew. He was sending his disciples out, and and those seeds were going to go out into the entire world, which, by the way, belongs to him. Okay, here's what he says next. He says the weeds, the weeds, are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. So Jesus says, just like I'm sending you out with a message of the kingdom to share and produce fruit for the whole world to benefit from, the enemy is also going to do the same thing. He's going to send out people that are his who are going to try to subvert and destroy everything I'm building. Okay. Satan is a liar. Satan is a counterfeiter. Satan does exactly what God does. He plants good seed. Satan plants bad seed. See, sometimes people are wrongly afraid of the devil. They think he's going to show up, like big spooky thing in your bedroom, and, and he's going to do all this terrible stuff to you. Does God show up that way? Not usually. He, he sows seeds, and so does the enemy. And we downplay the enemy because we don't realize that his tactic is to plant weeds in the field and to grow something that is not good in our world. Now, there is there is a danger here when we look at this. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. You can you can take that scripture down for a second. I wanna I want to talk about this. There is a dangerous interpretation here. Christians throughout history have made a habit of trying to decipher who are the good and the bad, the sheep and the goats. And we read this and we're like, okay, there's the sons of the kingdom. And the sons of the evil one. So we go, okay, the sons of the kingdom must be Christians. Members of the church. People who live right. So that's us. And the sons of the evil one, the devil's people, are everyone out there. Muslims, Buddhists, atheists, people who don't attend church regularly. So we, we create these two categories, like in, out, sheep, goat. It's Jesus is definitely defining two groups of people, but <laughs> next week we're going to look at some more parables, and we're going to see that there's a third category, and they're called lost. Lost people, we don't know which category they're going to be in. And we do a great injustice by categorizing lost people as the evil ones. What's interesting about this is that Jesus actually hung out with tax collectors. He hung out with sinners, prostitutes. And his, and his attitude towards them was, come to me. Be changed. Repent. Be weak. Be my children, my my sons and daughters. Follow me and I'll give you new life. That was his invitation to them. He never turned to a sinner and said, you're a son of the devil. Never. Do you know who he did say that to? (laughs) The kind of people that we would put on our board at the church. People who who gave every week in the offering, who showed up to church, who prayed faithfully, who lived a moral life. They didn't smoke, they didn't drink, they never watched a movie that was more than PG. I mean, these are like the righteous of the righteous. And Jesus turns to them and he says, you know what? He said, you're just like your father, the devil. And he said that because they weren't just disagreeing with Jesus. They were actively trying to destroy his character, his ministry, and his kingdom that he was building. So I think we ought to be very careful who we consider to be the sons of the evil one and to be very cautious that it not be us, self-righteous, arrogant Christians. There's a a huge warning in there that we could could talk about. Um, Here's what he says next. In his his explanation, he says, The harvest, the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels, just as weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age, age, age. That's not this month. That's not this year. An age is is an entire time in history. And church theologians talk about the church age or the age of grace. And that is Jesus ascends into heaven and he sends his disciples out like he plants them into the world. And they bring this seed and this message into the world and he ascends into heaven and he says i'm going to return the same way i left and when i return i'm returning with the angels and when i return with the angels we're we're going to there's going to be this moment of harvest okay and then and only then will i separate the good from the evil my people from satan's people that's when all of this uh happens so there is an age that we live in it's called the age of the church or the age of grace and uh there's this this question that we asked at the beginning that i think this parable at least points us in the right direction. And that question is, why not remove evil from the world immediately? Like, why not do it now? And the answer to Jesus that Jesus gives us is actually found in the parable itself. So back in verse 28, it says this. He said to them, an enemy has done this. When you look out in the world and you see evil and injustice, you shouldn't be like, why did God do that? Your first response should be like Jesus said, an enemy has done this. An enemy has has done this very thing. So the servant said to him, what do you want us to do? Go gather the weeds out? And he said, no. Lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them into bundles to be burnt and gather the wheat into my barn. Okay? So what we see is Jesus says... <laughs> I know it makes sense to pull out the weeds right now, but I want you to let them grow together. I'm going to allow evil and good sons of the kingdom, sons of the evil, one. they're all going to exist in this broken, fallen, you know, uh mixed bag world. It's all going to happen together until the day when I come and judge it. Um, that's what he says. So, and here's the thing, when these farmers went out to look at the field, um, the weed and the wheat, both the good and the bad, were growing together, and they couldn't tell the difference. And, and here's the thing for us, as we approach the world and, and people around us, how do we know who's who? I mean, how do we know who's who? Uh, back in that day, you go, well, how do you not know a weed from the wheat? I want to show you a little image, so we'll throw it up beside me. Um, this image is a, an image of wheat, and it's an image of tares. And you can tell they look a lot alike, and this is after they've grown up and they start to produce their fruit. Uh, In in fact, uh, back in the day, there was a a weed called darnel, and many people think that's what Jesus was referring to when he told this story, that this this weed, darnel, looks like wheat until the fruit fully forms, and then you can tell the difference, and it's actually poisonous. And Roman law, actually, they had a law against planting this kind of weed in your neighbor's crop because it would hurt everyone. The food supply would be damaged. And so Jesus uh, seems to be pretty clear when he says, you know, you can't tell the wheat from the weeds in the early stages. And it's not until the fruit begins to be produced. But even then, when they saw, oh, these are weeds, and they could identify them, he still says, leave the weeds. Leave the weeds. And this, to me, is the twist in the story. The fact that the owner of the field knows that there's weeds in his field, and he says, leave them alone. Because it's logical for us, if there's weeds in your garden, what do you do? You yank them. You know, it's it's like... It's this idea of we're going to take a small loss now to prevent a big loss later. That would be, you know, cut the small cancer out now before it destroys the whole body. That's that's logical. And so in this case, he says, no, I want you to let both grow together. That doesn't make sense. But he wants both to grow together because he does not want one grain of his wheat, his good plan, his good people to be wasted. So he says, let them grow together. He says, leave the weeds. See, here's here's a truth that I think is so important. Um, We don't know the end of the story, right? We don't know the end of the story. The end of the story hasn't been written. Maybe you've heard this. This is an ancient story. It's actually a parable of a Zen master and the boy. All right. And uh, there's this man and he buys his boy a horse. And everyone in the community goes, oh, isn't that wonderful that this man bought his boy a horse? And the Zen master says, maybe. We'll see. And then a few years later, the boy falls off the horse and breaks his leg And and now he's partially crippled and he kind of wobbles and hobbles. and, And the people in the community are like, isn't that so tragic that the boy broke his leg? And the Zen master said, we'll see. And then a few years later, a war breaks out and all the young men in the village are shipped off to do battle. And he can't go because of his leg. And everyone's like, isn't that amazing that that happened? And he didn't have to go to war. And the Zen master said, we'll see. And, you know, the point of that is none of us knows the end of the story. None of us knows. I mean, things might look great now. And turn sideways tomorrow. Things might look terrible now, and turn for God's glory tomorrow. We have no idea. We have neither the wisdom nor the foresight. But you know who does know the end from the beginning? God does. And and so this is why it's so important for us to embrace this idea of leaving the weeds. There are just some things we need to leave alone, leave in God's hands. There are so many times in history when something looked good, and it was not. Right, I think about Nazi Germany. In the beginning, Hitler was bringing financial prosperity. He was bringing unity to the people. Everyone was like, isn't this great? But there was a sinister root of a weed in his heart and through his leadership that, that ravaged havoc on the world, genocide by the millions. So you don't know something might begin well. This is why leave the weed. There, there's just some things that you can't tell. Uh, some of you, uh, maybe uh, you have a child who's gone wayward in their faith. And you're like, I planted good things in their heart. I, I, we taught them the scripture. We've loved them. I don't know why my kid is doing these things. Here's the thing. The story's not over. If you're watching this with someone, just turn to them and say, your story's not over. Right? The fat lady hasn't sung. I think that's an expression. It ain't over till the fat lady's... Like, there's the, the big crescendo, the final moment, the final judgment is not here. God is giving us time. And He's at work in the world. And we got to be super careful about how we view the world and what we do Leave, leave the weeds. We don't know the end of the story. Um, This is true in so many areas of our lives. There are some things that we can control and some things we can't. And uh, Jesus wants us to focus on the things that we can control. Here's what he says in the next verse. We'll go back to our text. In verse 41, he says, the Son of Man will send his angels and they'll gather out of his kingdom. This is really important. All causes of sin and lawbreakers. All causes of sin. And lawbreakers. I want you to notice that Jesus says He's going to deal with two things. Okay, this is important. He's going to deal with two things: causes of sin, and He's going to deal with lawbreakers. Um, you can take that scripture down. Um, here's the thing. There, there's sort of two things that we look at in the world. Every one of us wants lawbreakers, someone who murders. Someone who rapes, somebody who does terrible things, kills children. We want that person gone, right? Like get rid of the lawbreaker, get rid of the evil person. But Jesus actually wants to do something more. He wants to remove all causes of evil. And when Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount, he said, Listen, yeah, you've heard it said, thou shalt not murder. And everyone's like, Yeah, away with the murderer. And he's like, Whoever hates his brother has already committed murder. And they're like, What? He says, You've you've said somebody who cheats on their spouse, like away with them, adulterer. He's like If you even harbor lustful thoughts in your heart, you've already committed adultery. And everyone's like, what? Because Jesus actually is not just interested in removing evil people, the worst of the worst. He actually wants to remove evil, the very root of it, from our hearts. And the thing is, is we look at ourselves and we go, oh, it's just a little bit of lust. I just looked once. I just just let that thought just sort of marinate for a little while. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. What you don't understand is that is a, a small seed that becomes a root that begins to grow into something terrible. And Jesus and his kingdom are about removing all of it. Because if, if we don't remove the root, then even if Jesus took all the evil people, guess what? More would just rise up because the roots haven't been dealt with. So the kingdom of God, the, the thing that Jesus came to do in the world was so much more than just separate bad and good people. The gospel actually penetrates our heart. And just like yeast begins to work and transform our passions and our loves, and we have new desires and we stop wanting things we used to want, and everything becomes transformed. That's how the world changes. That's how the kingdom of heaven will come to earth. And so, um, he continues in this way in verse 41. He says, The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace, a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, someone reads that and they go, Wait a minute. He's talking about hell, isn't he? Oh, yeah, he's talking about hell. And I'm not sure about a loving God. You know, I'm not sure about a loving God who'd send people to this place and burn them eternally. You know, what about hell? Why would we, why would we do that? Why would we believe in that? Well, I don't have time to answer that question. In fact, in a few weeks from now, I'm going to be doing a whole message on hell. So you're just going to have to wait. Uh, I think you're going to understand it in a new way when we do uh, get to touch on that. But essentially what we see is in this final moment, uh, verse 43, we'll go back to the text. The righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus says, listen, here's what's going to happen. Evil, this root of evil, evil people will be removed from the world. And when they're taken out of the world, what will be left is God's people, heaven on earth, new heaven, a new earth, God's people, the very thing we all long for. And, um, and so I want to just take a few minutes at the close of this message to just apply some application to this. All right, Jesus, at the end of his descriptions says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. We've got to still wrestle with this and continue to interpret it. I want to just stop for a second on this idea of leave the weeds. Leave the weeds. Because I think there's some lesson here to leave the weeds. I think it means, leave the weeds means we ought to be slow to judge because we don't know the end from the beginning. We ought to be slow to judge because we can't see the heart the way God does. Imagine if we misdiagnose people as sons of the evil one who are not the damage that can be done. That was the very warning the master gave to his servants. Imagine some of you listening today, if someone had looked at your life 10 years ago and looked at your heart 10 years ago, would have thrown you out with the bathwater, but God has transformed you and he's changing you. Imagine that he might do the same thing for the person sitting beside you or the person you work with or the person in our community. Imagine if you had looked at Saul of Tarsus and who was actively persecuting the church You would, of course, go, he's the son of the evil one. He's persecuting the church. But God's like, no, 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 he's mine. He's wheat. Not only is he wheat, he's going to be one of the most productive pieces of wheat the world has ever seen. His letters will go translated into every nation. People's lives will be changed through that guy who's currently opposing me. We don't know the end from the beginning. Slow to judge. I get all hyped up when I hear people criticizing other Christians because of their doctrine or their theology or their way they practice. We ought to be very careful Yes, there's a right and wrong way. Yes, we can discuss some of those things. Yes, we can point out error, but we ought to do it very, very cautiously. Why? Because Jesus said, leave the weeds. Stop focusing on their faults and start worrying about what's going on right here. This is super, super important. When Jesus says leave the weeds, it's because we have to understand that the judgment to come when Jesus returns is personal. I'm going to stand before God and you are going to stand before God And my wife won't be standing next to me. My kids won't be there. The people I work with at the church, none of you will be there. I will stand before God and He will say, what did you do with what I gave you? How did you treat your family? What did you do for your community? How did you live out the things that I did for you and share them with others? And I'm going to stand there and you're going to stand there. And none of those online preachers and people we like to criticize will be there. It'll just be you. And so we ought to be very careful to leave the weeds, focus on what we can control and leave. What well, we can't. The judgment is personal. The judgment is personal. I like to say it this way. Stop finding fault. Start producing fruit. Okay? It is easy to criticize other people. Look, I can criticize. I can criticize other churches in our town. I can criticize ministries, worship teams. I am my own worst enemy. I, I watch my own sermons back. I'm like, what is that not talking about? Like I criticize my own stuff. It's so easy to be critical. It's not easy to produce fruit. And fruit is what God's after. And fruit is what God is looking for and what He commands of us. So stop finding fault and start worrying more about producing fruit. The Pharisees were so critical. They were trying to pick apart Jesus' ministry. And Jesus came to love and lay down His life. So why don't we do that instead? Stop finding fault. Start producing fruit. There's a, there's a passage that I want to share with you that I think is super helpful. It's found in Psalm 139. And this, <laughs> this is the heart of David. Saul, the first king of Israel, not Saul who would become Paul. Saul, the first king of Israel, was handsome, tall, a great warrior, great leader. Externally, everyone thought this guy's the bomb. And he bombed his assignment. Next comes David, who is a younger born son, shepherd, his family's kind of cast him aside and God chooses him because of his heart. Here's here's his heart. Watch this. This is something that you and I ought to aspire to do and have. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. He's not worried about Saul. He's not worried about false prophets and see if there be any grievous way in me. He's like, God, if there's any evil thing in me, root it out and lead me in the way everlasting. David was interested in producing fruit for God instead of finding fault with the current king. We ought to take a lesson. Jesus says, leave the weeds, leave the weeds. Here's the bottom line. Time, time will ultimately reveal the truth. I mean, that's that's the beautiful thing. I can forgive people who harm me because God knows their heart and he knows mine and he knows every piece of the background and he will ultimately judge. So because I know there is a moment of judgment, because I know that I will stand in judgment, and so will they, I can trust that God has absolutely got this. There, there's a couple things I wanna I wanna say before I close, okay? This is really important. When I say leave the weeds, be slow to judge, I think that's a really important principle found in this parable. But there's a couple things that someone might run sideways with. They might ask the question, does this command to leave the weeds, does it, does it mean that there's no accountability in the church? That people can live however they want within the faith community? No. Jesus says no. If someone in your community who professes to be a follower of Christ is sinning and being you know divisive and causing issues in the church that they're to be addressed, called to repentance. He's talking about how we view the world and, and those people that are not connected to us. So that, that's, a, that's a point of clarification. The second thing is, does this command to leave the weeds mean that we don't have to do anything about the issues of evil in the world. Does it mean leave the weeds? Oh, uh, you know, people people who are hungry and homeless not our problem. The 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 poor will always be among you. The sick will always be among you. Racism is just a thing. It's you know, it's sinful. So we we don't have anything to do or say. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. We are actually called by Christ to step into the gap for those who cannot defend themselves, to share what we have with others, to love, to even lay down our lives for them, but he never calls us to criticize and stand in judgment. Because the thing is, the very people who are oppressing, and we stand in the gap to protect and defend and to support, that's one thing, but it's another thing when we start throwing rocks at those on the other side, we actually join them in their sin. So I I just think there's a really important warning here, and ultimately time will reveal the truth. You cannot tell a book by its cover. If anything, this should be an encouragement to you. And I really think, let me tie this back to Valentine's Day, because I know I've been talking about some hard things, but... Here's the truth, friends. The greatest gift God has ever given us this Valentine's Day is time. And since time is over, there's time to repent. There's time to turn to God. There's time to root out weeds in your heart. There's there's time to forgive. There's time to do something to love someone else. There's time to share the message of the kingdom. There's time to turn from your current ways. There is time, and there will be no time like today, to, to, to say to God, listen. I don't even even know what the future holds, but I trust you, and I want to follow you. And so I I want to offer an opportunity for you to pray with me, You know, um, that you could become a son of the kingdom. There's hope for everyone. And that God has given you this moment and this time to say, Lord, and this is a simple prayer, but it's a prayer that says, Lord, I want to follow you wherever you lead. I want you and your spirit to come in and transform my heart. I want you to change who I am. I want you to produce fruit in me. I want heaven to come to earth through me by first transforming me so that I can transform my family and my community. It starts right here with God. So if you would, would you you pray this simple prayer? God, come into my heart. Change me by your spirit. I receive Christ as my new king. Thank you for making me a child of the kingdom. Well, today, if you've prayed that prayer, we'd love to have you connect with us after the service. Send us an email, check in with us. We'd love to support you, get you a Bible, talk to you, put you in a group, find a way to help you connect with your next step of faith. And uh, with that, I'm going to turn it back over to Andrew um, to close out our service. Thanks for being with us here today. Come on back next week as we continue our series, Parables of Jesus. Thanks for being with us. I sure hope that message was helpful. If you have committed your life to Christ or taken a first step, uh, we'd love to connect with you. Please reach out to our website or through our uh, YouTube or social media accounts. We'd love to connect with you. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us each week as we grow together by studying the scriptures. Hey, thanks for being with us. And we'll see you next week for part three of the parables of Jesus.